Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Be There in Five podcast. I'm Kate Kennedy, your host. Last year, one of my favorite crowdsourced episodes was called Tis the Damn Seasoning. And there was a part one on the main feed that is a chaotic episode because I was like on deadline for my book. I just hosted Thanksgiving for the first time, which I've like never done before. And that Sunday night, I was supposed to have um, an episode come out. And it was about Cheval slash Haley Page. And I don't know if you guys remember that whole saga, the Haley Page wedding dress brand that is her like given name was under this like parent company. And then when she left and tried to go off on her own, they tried to like siege all of her social media accounts, anything with the name Haley Page and forbid her for using in a professional capacity her name, like her birth certificate name of Haley Page. So it's like this crazy litigious parent company. And she hadn't done a lot of press. And I sent it to her. And then she's like, great, I'm having my lawyer look it over. And I was like, oh. So then I freaked out. And I was like, well, I'm going to send it to my lawyer, too. Like, I, you know, I want to share interesting stories, but I'm, I can't afford to be taken down by a company with a lot of money if, like, she's, you know, something said on here. I just don't know how it works. So I freaked out. And I think I had, like, 90 minutes to get an episode out or something. And I think I, I must have crowdsourced these stories. So I put it out super fast. So just a heads up, if you go back and listen to that, it's not like it was my best quality episode, but I loved the concept. And the concept was kind of the spirit of Taylor Swift's song, Tis the Damn Season, which I think is like it really captures a really brilliant pocket of holiday-related nostalgia in terms of capturing that kind of bittersweet, cozy, flannel-laden feeling of going back to your brisk hometown and trying to look the hottest you've ever looked in your life while also not trying that hard and going to a bar on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. And if you're single and some mega hottie from high school single or a love lost or a person that you dated and broke up with when you set out to go to the big city or whatever it may be, it's just about like the rekindling of an old flame upon visiting your hometown in the holiday season, be it Thanksgiving, Christmas or otherwise, New Year's. And kind of that weird contrast of seeing the people who perhaps know you the best at your core paired with you kind of being a different person now and how it feels so familiar yet you're all suddenly strangers when you go to like a hometown bar or whatever and tis the damn season a i'm still shook like i'll never forget hearing her start those notes when we all watched the like bootleg era's tour live streams in glendale and i was like she did not just saying it's like i wish i could not believe tis the damn season was part of the regular set list and i'm i feel grateful i got to see it because she swapped that out right um for like was it nobody no crime eventually or maybe just when she was on the road with time um but anyway i just think this song it, it like i don't remember being overtaken by it when i first heard it but now it's i don't know it, it's so perfect for this season and it just really captures something that I always wanted to experience, but never did. And I asked you guys, like, do you have any stories of going to your hometown and rekindling things with an old flame or like holiday related romance? Like, let's Hallmark movie it up here to be there in five podcast. And you guys did not disappoint. In fact, I think I asked for stories kind of late in the game. And after I recorded the chaotic episode, so many more good ones came in. I recorded a second part to Patreon. And I remember people telling me, like, this is my favorite Patreon of all time. And I think it's just because a lot of the stories are interesting or heartwarming or I don't even know. But I remember thinking, 
I think I might use this next year because it was so nice of people to send their stories. A lot of them are really heartwarming. I think at one point I share like a deeply personal um, weird poem I wrote. So don't mind that. And since some of you maybe heard this on Patreon last year, A, I didn't remember any of its content. So I had fun revisiting it. Um, I cut out some of the parts that the audio was just too bad. I don't think, I don't know, maybe you'll want to re-listen. Then also toward the end, I asked you guys on Instagram to share with me like your some of your Christmas traditions because I am always looking to start new ones. And I've heard people mention before they like want ideas for fun new traditions to start. Actually, I might do that next week or the, like a, the week of Christmas because I asked you guys on Instagram some of your favorite holiday traditions that we can share to like give people ideas and also like their most memorable toys and gifts like I just want to know the thing that Santa got you that just blew your effing mind and I also I kind of think it almost helps remind I don't know not that parents and elf on the shelf America are struggling um here that's a hard habit to kick once you start Teddy's still got some time before all that but yeah I don't know about the old elf on the shelf but just like even to serve as a reminder of like this this season's like exhausting and it's so much at times and I don't even no, if you're doing the Santa thing for kids, you know, I hope you're still enjoying it, but I can also see how it just becomes so overwhelming. And it's just, I think, sometimes nice to let it marinate that, like, you're making memories. And the memories aren't, like, about the volume of stuff necessarily, but just, like, I don't know. So much of my positive childhood memories are through this weird lens of consumerism that I don't totally know how to reconcile. But I just think everybody's got their, like, core memory from a particular, you know, Santa gift that was just like, how did he know? How did he get this? And, you know, regardless of like who you are, where you're from, how much it costs, like, I don't know. I just wanted to share cute memories. So I think I might wait till those roll in and maybe we'll do a separate episode on those because some of them are like, geez, I don't relate to you. Uh, you know, the, the Barbie Jeep, like Power Wheel Wrangler getters, the you know, bitches whose puppy surprise had five pup. Like, are you kidding me? Like, what's it like to be God's favorite? Some of it was triggering. I'm not going to lie. Some of it was hard to revisit all the things, you know, I, I desperately wanted, but I didn't get. But as I always tell my parents, my memories are so grounded in the longing. When I read back my book, I was like, what's so fascinating is it's like my obsessiveness and tendency for detailed observation is a function of desire, not me like getting things. So there's value to be had in the things we want and the things we'll never have. And yeah, well, maybe we'll do that on the uh, next episode. And if you have holiday traditions you want to share, your core Santa getting you a gift that blew your effing mind moment, would love to hear. And um, I like the idea of hearing other people's like fun, random traditions just to share, because I think it might give people some good ideas, Rather, whether you're on your own or you have a partner or you recently expanded your family like i don't think you need to wait for any one milestone involving other people to start your own traditions and i just love the idea of i don't know doing fun memorable things that i can count on every year to really help me cue into the holiday spirit as we've talked about before like we did on the danny podcast i i spent years chasing this vague idea of holiday magic that I used to feel in my bones when I was a kid, it was like it turned to December 1 and I plucked one of the construction paper rings that felt like mealy and dry on my hands uh, from the red and green construction paper stapled ring countdown. 
And I was kind of transported to a world of anticipation and excitement for a break from school, a smell of a Christmas tree lot and running through the trees trying to find the biggest one that'll fit in our house. And we'd swap out the, you know, sheet music on the piano for the Christmas songs. And my mom would bum us all out by trying to make us read The Little Match Girl. So we maintained some cold perspective during the holiday season, which God love her never worked because I was in the business of consumerism. I just could not wait to get my mitts on whatever dull furniture I had asked for, perhaps a board game, a bike. My God, the year I got a three-disc changer. Are you kidding me? When I was going through some of your gifts earlier, like on Instagram that Santa brought you that blew your mind, what was really making me laugh is how many of you got a bike, but like you remember how many speeds it was. Like I got a 21-speed mountain bike and like, what were you doing with that? What are the speeds for? Also, I mean, just so I don't get the emails. And I'm, I'm, no, I'm no like cyclops. I almost just said cyclops. What is a person that bicycles called? That didn't even sound. What is a person that bicycles sound? A cyc a cycler, a a cyclist. A cy is that weird words? A cyclist. That sounds weird coming out of my mouth. That it's definitely not a cyclops though. That's a creature with one eye, if I'm not mistaken. Like Mike Wazowski. Anyway, I get the the gist. I did some serious bike riding in my day. So I know like the low gears, I think, make like uphill easier in the high gears, make downhill faster or whatever. But what I mean is at the age when I wanted a bike, I did not know the difference between like 7 or 21 speeds or whatever. And I most certainly wasn't facing the topographical. I'm having trouble talking today. Topographical? I'm having like a speed speedometer, a speedometer moment. Um, but you get it. Conditions like a mountain bike was built for. I just, it w that was not happening for me in Short Pump, Virginia. Like the roads were so smooth. The, the HOA ran such a tight ship. They didn't even allow people to have satellite dishes, I believe on account of being a quote unquote eyesore. <laughs> so things weren't rough and tumble. Didn't need a mountain bike, but alas, I wanted one so badly. I remember shifting gears and being like, what a racket. Was this really doing much for my life? I mean, I'm in the Piedmont region of Virginia. It wasn't exact. We had rolling hills, but, you know, it wasn't the type of terrain the Huffy commercials were advertising. I mean, it's kind of like North Face being a company that, like, created jackets to like, withstand extreme conditions for, like, hikers and campers and outdoorsy people, like, testing the limits or whatever. And it was just, like, co-opted by you know collegiate basics i say that lovingly i am one who needed a light jacket that was socially acceptable without too much bulk that they could wear to class with like ugg boots and cuff jeans and then leave it home when they went out to the bars because it was so expensive and literally everyone had one so if you brought a black north face denali to like a bar it's like, hey, are, like uh, you know, there are enough things at this bar on not willing to go home with me? Like, I don't want to also not get to take my own jacket home. Um, anyway, it is kind of funny to think about asking Santa for like, yeah, I need a Trek mountain track, a Huffy street wolf. Is that a banana seat? Like, pave masters are for losers. I need, I need a Schwinn cruiser. I need a mongoose purple with a blue fade. 21 speeds water bottle holder, handlebar extensions. Like I was riding around in a circle on my cul-de-sac. What was, where was I going? I just think like bike culture, 
as a child. <laughs> you know, one of my favorite pastimes is to go through the notes on my iPhone. There's just a real who's who of things that I refuse to provide context for and therefore cannot figure out why, why I wrote them. And I came across something whose origin I cannot pinpoint that um, I thought I'd share because it kind of, I don't know, might get us in the right headspace for a continuation of a holiday episode here at the Be There in Five podcast. It says, I want to wear an untacky sweater, maybe with some light decorative beading, be greeted in a mahogany entryway, dripping with garland that smells like balsam and cinnamon, with a tray of wine and spode glassware. The garland is real, of course, you know, it's the good stuff when it sheds. And the red and or gold bows on the banister are so proportional, you know they were professionally tied. Maybe a sea of poinsettias, surrounded by tasteful yet festive decor that incorporates palatable amounts of red and green throughout seasonal plaids. Metallics are honored through gold piping, ornaments, and mantle tchotchkes, but not in a way that makes the decor feel too cold and modern. I want a roaring wood-burning fire that a dad keeps poking at. I want the classy tree in the living room where no one's allowed to sit, with white lights and matching ornaments, and the fun tree in the family room with the homemade ornaments. I want wreaths or French horns on the windows, a candle in each, Trans-Siberian orchestra in the background, maybe some Mannheim steamroller, occasional Mormon tab choir. I ask the hostess if that scent is an Aldi candle, and she warmly replies to me that no, it's the clove-studded orange pomander balls carefully placed throughout the house. I want a village of light-up ceramic houses, a nativity scene, sitting on that angel hair woven glass I'm not allowed to touch, and a full-on militia of nutcrackers. Is that too much to ask? Now, I'm hoping my parents weren't like, what do you want for Christmas this year? And I did, right now I replied that. That sounds like something I would do. Um, but what I, sorry, what I assume was happening is that I was in my 10th Christmas in an apartment uh, with, you know, ne'er a pomander ball in sight. And I was just dreaming about what I wish my lifestyle was like. And that kind of energy is the sort of thing that Hallmark brings to the table. And I do th- and I do watch a lot of Hallmark movies, especially when I'm at home with my parents. And I think that how pervasive this vague concept of the Christmas spirit is in those films as well has really made me self-conscious about the difficulty of getting in it as an adult. And I really think, you know, starting some of my own traditions might help. And the last thing, this is, <laughs> I was listening to the episode, Tis the Damn Seasoning. And <laughs> so bad. I was so flustered. But the the part to me that is one of, is, is a weird byproduct of vocalizing what's going on in your life at the time is I called it tis the day I'm seasoning because during the episode I got really sick after eating this corn dish I made for Thanksgiving and it was leftovers and you hear me like hypothesize like oh I guess it was kind of cheesy blah blah and then I put some like new seasoning I got that my sister gave me when she was you know trolling around Tijuana as one does no joke she got brought me seasoning back from Tijuana that I hadn't had before and I hadn't opened yet and like after I ate it I felt really sick and um I, and it was yeah just a dumb plan words tis the damn seasoning anyway listen to me like were any of you shouting at me like you're pregnant it's not the seasoning I like listen this is from last year's episode uh update okay <laughs> remember how I was just touting my abilities with corn okay i went upstairs like 40 minutes ago and reheated some of the corn i made for thanksgiving because i thought it was good and ate it and like immediately got sick (laughs) i'm like wait 
What just happened? Did anyone else sick from my corn? Jesus Christ, superstar. Um, I do not feel good. I'm gonna take a beat. Hopefully, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna make. I'm gonna give myself a good ninety minutes for this episode. And <laughs> I don't feel good. <laughs> what did I do? It is kind of a cheesy dish. It tasted a little weird. That I was wondering if I used the wrong. Um, I usually just use tahini, but I used an alternative type of tahini. I don't know if it's off brand. My sister bought it for me in Mexico. Okay. Anyways, got some research to do. Um, wow. Okay, I'm back. I'm alive. But low energy. I'm texting Courtney. I'm like, uh, what happens if I don't have an episode tonight? We're just gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna not think about the seasoning. I don't know what happened. Let's power on through. And maybe I just won't think about it. I was looking up TikToks for how to overcome nausea. And it said, uh, smell rubbing alcohol, rub pressure points or be distracted. And I am not playing fast and loose with smelling rubbing alcohol right now. I'll tell you that much. (laughs) Okay. Let's see some of your emails. Does it surprise anybody that I now have a a four-month-old child? (laughs) I did not find out I was pregnant until New Year's Eve. And that episode came out the first week in December. And I'm like, was I already potentially? Because Teddy was born. No one knows when this child was conceived. And and, um, I just, I can't make it work in my head. Anyways, I don't need to get into that with you right now, but it's just funny to listen back and hear clues because I I didn't even remember why I called this episode that. And I just I wanted to formally apologize to one Kelly Kennedy. Thank you for the seasoning. Um, You know, anytime you're in Tijuana, feel free to pick me up the latest and greatest and culinary treats. I just I think I couldn't deal with the idea that it was my corn because I just fed it to 10 people. Um, I was looking for one part of the equation that I hadn't had before, and it was the seasoning. But that just goes to show you how not on the radar me being pregnant was. I had finished an IVF cycle in October and, you know, was two years into trying, and it just, like, never happened. That's pretty crazy to look back on, especially because the following two weeks when I was trying to meet my deadline were literally the most stressful weeks of my entire life. I was, like, not sleeping for three days. It was so bad. And that's when we recorded fan-favorite episode Mama Slay at the Lake, uh, and, I, and I'm like deliriously weaving, wheezing, crying, laughing. Really, if you listen to the Be There in Five podcast from last November to January, when I didn't know I was pregnant or found out I was, and then was so tired and couldn't tell you why, except some people figured it out when I said I had just eaten like a baker's dozen of oranges. Anyway, if I haven't told you lately that I'm grateful for you, and thank you for sticking with me in good times and in bad, in literal sickness and in health, I think sometimes I'm like, you know, maybe people will just appreciate the candor of like how sometimes this has to be thrown together for whatever reason the episode I have scheduled doesn't work. But I think that was a little too inside baseball. And by baseball, I mean, I guess my digestive system. I think I'm just like so shook that I had no idea and it wasn't on my radar. And even more shaken that uh, the idea Teddy wouldn't exist because he's my perfect little baby gorgeous and I love him so much and he's just is like so my kid. And the fact that he just, like, came from nowhere. And, yeah, he's just a little perfect miracle, babe. And I love him to pieces. And I just, like, never would have, ever, ever would have thought I'd be coming to my parents' house this year for the holidays with a babe. But now, yeah, you so quickly can't imagine your life without them. Anyways, I I need to record my finale for Millennial with Child because I actually have never done anything on the main feed about, like, having the baby. 
And I've only talked about it on Patreon, but I kind of want to put all my thoughts together and finish out the arc on the main feed. I wanted to wait till I was a little farther into motherhood so I didn't give off the energy of like a 20-year-old, you know, evangelical couple that just got married and one month into their marriage that they probably rushed into so they could do it and they weren't allowed to live together before they got married. Um, you know, when they're like giving marriage advice, it's like you're 20 and you've been married for one month and you're talking about how it's such hard work. Like it probably shouldn't be. Maybe the issue is you're not compatible because you don't know each other at all. And you got married just to do it. Can't get into that right now. But yeah, having a newborn was so euphoric compared to the misery I felt being pregnant. that I knew it wasn't like really an accurate take of what this looks like more big picture. So I don't know. I'm like four months in. We'll see. But anyway. Here are some stories, some you might have heard last year, but they're so fun to revisit. And um, yeah, just listen to Tis the Damn Season, get back in the headspace. I wanted to connect the dots of like how nostalgic the holiday season can be, how it makes you feel attached to your childlike wonder. And it makes you um, attached to the innocence of youth when you oversimplify romance and I think since Christmas makes us feel like children, it also makes us remember what, what our expectations for love and romance and that we really thought it was as simple as kissing under a mistletoe or the local tree hand sweeping us off of our feet when we return home from the big city. And I'm charmed by the version of me that didn't know how complicated things would become. But I didn't need to know the complexities as the young person. It wouldn't have benefited me in any way. That hopefulness mismanages our expectations, but it also makes our imagination run wild, and I'm not sure I resent it. Anyway, I'm going to thank an advertiser, and then we're going to get into some of the best stories that I've never been here on the main feed. But if you already heard them last year, you might not remember. So stick around. And tis the damn season, Taylor Swift sings about sleeping in half the day just for old time's sake. Regardless if you've rekindled things with your hometown beau, if you're on a Helix sleep mattress, you will want to sleep in half the day, and I can attest to this. I took the Helix sleep quiz... And I was matched with a Dusk Lux many moons ago. And ever since, I've slept like a baby. Now that I say that phrase, babies like don't really sleep, so I'm not really sure where it comes from. But I've slept like a log, perhaps? That seems more accurate. The Helix lineup offers 20 unique mattresses, including the award-winning Lux Collection, which I have. The newly released Helix Elite Collection, a mattress designed for big and tall sleepers, which is huge. <laughs> Pun not intended. Uh, it, it's not easy being a tall person on a mattress out there. And if you're over six feet, like these mattresses are, they're big and tall is legit. And they have mattresses made just for kids that will last literally from ages three to 12. And what's cool about the online quiz is it asks you all the questions. So you stomach sleeper, side sleeper, back sleeper, tend to get hot. What is your partner like? All the things. But Helix knows that there's no better way to test a new mattress than by sleeping on it in your own home. That's why they offer a 100 night trial and a 10 to 15 year warranty to try out your new Helix mattress. I know I'm a broken record, but this just is not your average mattress company that you buy online. It's a hybrid design that has individually wrapped steel coils at the base with premium foam layers. So it's the perfect combination of comfort and support. If you're, you know, if your spine needs some TLC, if you need some extra support, like this is a high quality mattress that comes compressed in a box right to your door. Super easy to set up. And I've got everyone I know on the Helix train. If you don't want to take my word for it, Helix has been awarded the number one mattress pick by GQ and Wired Magazine. And Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash be there in five. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Helixsleep.com slash be there in five. Pistachio pedestal gang rise up. <laughs> it's officially time. 
Just kickstart your holiday shopping, but there's no cause for panic. Uncommon Goods is here to make your holiday shopping stress-free by scouring the globe for the most remarkable and truly unique gifts for everyone on your list. Whether you're shopping for mom, dad, teenagers, in-laws, or your BFFs, Uncommon Goods knows exactly what they want. Literally, you can go to their site, and when you start to search gifts, it says like him, her, mom, dad, kids, teens. But it, it even goes a step farther than by person. It goes by interest, by price point, by occasion, and even better, if it's a white elephant. What, what are we doing in this life with white Like, I don't know what to get for a white elephant. I've told you dads across the nation go wild for the pistachio pedestal. I'm interested in displaying my own book in my home via the Book Nook Valet that saves your place and displays a gorgeous cover along with like holding your phone and your keys and your glasses. It's just like a beautiful wooden nightstand thing for a, a book lover. But I've historically gotten these like squishy gummy bear lights for kids that they love. And I also think like a kind of gimmicky gift that's actually wildly practical is the couple split bedding. It's like comforter that's split in two in case you have a sheet stirrer in your house. I think Uncommon Goods like signature too is their ability to customize or just like niche down because like one of their best selling items right now, hockey puck coasters. You know, guys, I don't watch a lot of hockey. Do people watch a lot of hockey? I guess people watch a lot of hockey because their hockey items are through the roof. I also have seen uh, their almost sold out they have these candles with college football stadiums on top which i think is a really cute gift that's sports related but also practical a favorite in my family's household is i got like my mom this wine barrel thing where you can put a bag of like tj's wine in it but it comes out of this barrel spout and it's like you're in italy but jokes on our guests we're in north carolina there's also this custom sky glass where i was eyeballing because you can pick like any date and it will make the glass out of the constellations on that night it's like special night glass and i'm like my god what will i choose heard all too well 10 minute version for the first time perhaps the birth of my son i don't know potato potatoes similar amount of significance um just kidding. When you shop at Uncommon Goods, you're supporting small artists and small independent businesses. They look for products that are high quality, unique, and often handmade or made in the U.S. And they have the most meaningful out of the ordinary gifts anywhere from art to jewelry, kitchen, home, and bar. And with every purchase you make at Uncommon Goods, they give back a dollar to a nonprofit of your choice. They've donated more than $2.5 million to date. To get 15% off your next gift, go to uncommongoods.com slash be there in five. That's uncommongoods.com slash be there in five for 15% off. Don't miss out on this limited time offer. Uncommon Goods, we're all out of the ordinary. So this one says, I was an 18-year-old college freshman and I had been playing a game of Are We Friends or Is There More with my best friend from high school since the end of our senior year. We had spent the spring of senior year having heart-to-hearts at bonfires, finding stupid reasons to hang out on weeknights, and overall having the best time soaking up the end of our high school days. I was about to spend my summer working at a Christian camp and wouldn't be able to see James before he left for college in a big city three hours away. I wrote him a letter that I gave directly to him maybe two days before I left for camp. It was dramatic and sappy and more or less confusing and more or less confessing my love to him. Was I direct? Likely not. Was it a little late? Probably. Did I write it anyway? Yes. Did he come visit me with a group of our mutual friends while I was working at summer camp? Yes, once. Did I do my hair in the summer camp bathroom like I was going on the most important date of my 18-year-old life? Also, yes. (laughs) Were our interactions romantic in any way? Nope. Did my 18-year-old sheltered self hope that would change? She for sure did. It was ridiculous. We went to college three hours away and occasionally had phone calls back and forth. Oftentimes, I would call on Wednesday nights on my drive back from Bible study. LOLOL, I hate it here. Why were we this way? 
We would talk like old friends do. He came home for one weekend, for one weekend visit midfall of our freshman year, and afterwards told me he thought about surprising me, but decided he should just tell me so we could spend some time together. Again, in our and we did. Again, in our big group of friends, nothing romantic here, but a girl can dream, right? Finally, Thanksgiving weekend rolls around, and I hear that he and some other friends who went away to this fancy big city college are all coming home together, and a girl from college is joining them. It's not until we are at our Wednesday night Bible study reuniting with our people until I realize that said girl is not there with the other girls from my hometown, but she, in fact, came back home with James. James loves her. The way he looks at her, I can tell. He spends the whole evening flirting with her in front of me, and I am watching my fake dream of fake dream life of falling in love with my best friend fall away. It was heartbreaking in the worst way. I go home, sob into a towel, and proceed to cry for the entire rest of the weekend. James and I were best friends all through high school. It was never one-time romantic. We never went on one date. We lived in the friend zone, yet my mind had created this whole scenario. The end of senior year, into the summer, and even further into the fall, what a mess. Why are teenage girls this way? I'm in my 30s now. James is married and lives in another state. Likely happy with a girl who never lived in this weird friend zone. I'm still single, wondering what random Alaskan city I should visit for Christmas to have my own Hallmark happy ending. Ha. Huh. Use this story or not, it was cathartic to write out and reflect on how ridiculous life used to be. Happiest of holidays. First of all, you aren't ridiculous. Second of all, to your question of why are teenage girls this way? I mean, I think it's a beautiful thing to be a person who feels your feelings and to wear your heart on your sleeve and to be, have such emotional availability to the point where you'd write that letter, you would just need an answer. Like, I think teenage girls are looked at so often like they're the immature party when really they're the ones that are healthily expressing themselves in the relationship and then like gaslit by society to be made to believe that they're emotionally responding to the things that happen to them is being dramatic, is being crazy is unnecessary. With friend-zoning situations, what happens, it's a very real thing, like bread creaming, if you will. What sucks about, especially being a young girl in that circumstance, is that you're made to feel like you're crazy, you misunderstood the situation. It wasn't what they did, it was how you interpreted it. And that's not fair. Have you ever heard the, um, I don't know if you ever watched Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, but there's a song called Love Kernels. How do I know he loves me? It's the little things, little compliments here and there that I secretly stockpile in my woman brain. I can live for days off a single. You really listen to me. I'm like a sexy fashion cactus, living from compliment to compliment, hint to hint, storing them in my body through long periods of drought. I may look dry, but if you cut me open, you'll find only water inside. Incidentally, that's also a useful fact for how to survive in the desert. But how do I know he loves me? I guess the only way to prove it is with abstract symbolism. Those jeans are cute. Want some of my smoothie? Wait, you should put this pillow under your knees first. He gives me love kernels. Each little crumb another tasty clue. Can't when you say I'm going to a movie.
saying a lot. I actually think it's like worse sometimes when somebody doesn't reject you outright, but doesn't want you either. So they give you tiny doses of affection to keep you interested, to keep you from being like, I don't deserve this. Like, I don't know if people do it on purpose or not, but like, it's a very real thing where you know you're being rejected, but these small things a person does makes you hold out hope. And then I think there's kind of an obsession with like the friends to lovers trope or, you know, I don't know. I think we really convince ourselves that there's something about being best friends without any sexual tension or chemistry that means we could still find it someday and be in love. Even though I think as we get older, we realize like, you their their vibes or there aren't but at that age especially if you were like in the christian camp circuit and going to bible study with this person like you probably weren't flirting and experiencing overt sexual tension in a way yep. so you weren't sure how to interpret his behavior towards you and it's like on the one hand yeah if he's just being like nice to you and hanging out with you yeah that's what a friend does but it's really hard when you like that person and you can't really understand if their behavior is friendly or if it's romantic. And then I would watch like shows and movies and all these things that were like, tell him, tell him. That was kind of like grand gestured up. And I totally would have done that too. read your letter. I have done that. Never works. I, I would always like almost get so worked up. I would build up these scenarios in my head where I was like, I'm going to talk to him. I'm going to DTR. I'm going to tell him I deserve better. And it just never, <laughs> it would never. If if you're if our, I learned that if I was already at that point, uh, it wasn't going to go in my favor. You know, like the love story I wanted wasn't like I coerced him into giving me a response and then needled him until it skewed 51% in favor of him maybe wanting me to stick around. I literally obsessed over and missed and like wonder what this other person was doing like the entire time I studied abroad when I was having this like insane life experience and I was changing a lot and seeing the world and gaining perspective. The part of me I couldn't get any perspective on was being obsessed with this person that I had just been like friends out. I think I was like in the third year at that point. And yeah, I'll never forget. I got an email. I think I maybe talked about this in the study abroad episode. I got an email like maybe three quarters of the way through saying he missed me. And I was like literally almost over it. And it's just it's an interesting thing where it's almost like some dynamics. The other person has this. like clock where they know you're about to be off the hook and they just like lure you in one last time. Anyway, I think what I said on the Patreon was that um, also, yeah, if you're in religious circles, given the context clues you shared, I remember one of my points of frustration was feeling like, okay, if you were really impressionable to the messaging of like you control boys' behavior don't be a temptress. Don't make your Christian brothers stumble. You know, that whole thing. Um, like, you're kind of duped by churchy circles to believe that, like, what men want the most is a godly woman. I can't even say it with a straight face. So it's like, I don't, I, I feel like I never really developed, like, flirtatious, like, flirtatious skills in any other way that wasn't, like, chummy punch you in the arm. I kind of feel like I took that seriously and I was like, well, I don't want to be a temptress. I don't want to be too forward. I don't want, you know, this, that, and the other. And then like when I got older, I realized I wasn't as skilled as like flirting and showing interest as other people. And then, you know, 
of course, as time goes on later in high school and in college, you see what the girls that like the guys that you like, like, and they're confident and they're forward. They're a lot more flirtatious than you. In some cases, more overtly sexual or experienced. You're kind of like, wait a second, I need to be more like that. But then I would do things that were just so embarrassing because it wasn't me. It wasn't natural to me. And it was just me mimicking people's behavior. And like, did you guys watch? I feel like I've brought this up before. I think it was, um, what was the winemaker's name that kind of looked like DW from Arthur? Um, Ben. Uh, was it Ben? Not Ben Higgins. It was another guy with a middle parted male bob. And Jamie Otis, also known from season one of Married at First Sight, was on his season. And to like get his attention, she gives him truly the cringiest laugh dance I've ever seen in my life in ways that sometimes I think about it at night and shudder, where I don't think that was like what she wanted to be doing. I think that's what she thought she had to do to get his attention. And I feel like sometimes my friends would gas me up to be like, you go after him, you tell him what you want, you tell him what you deserve, or like, you know, tell you to seduce them in some way, shape or form, or you'd convince yourself like, yeah, this night I'm just going to look so hot, he won't be able to resist me. And like fantasize about you walking into a place uh, while Buttons is playing and there your eyes meet across the room when he's like, damn, she looks good. I can't believe I just let her go. You know, like I would paint these whole situations in my mind. Um, it's kind of a funny thing where I think that at times my inexperience made me really overthink mixed messaging because had I been in a healthy, like more serious relationship or even had like more you know, experience with boys slash men, like I would know that doing the bare minimum was nowhere close to a relationship. Anyway, to the question of why are teenage girls like this, I think I really do think it's because, and I know I'm a broken record, but I think oftentimes young women are taught to chase male validation instead of reciprocated romantic love. And when you're after validation, the quality of it doesn't matter. The fact that you're being validated at all is what, is what you're focused on. Focusing on a romantic, healthy relationship would require you to assess if the person was giving back what you were putting in, if there was a mutual respect and sense of affection there. But with validation, even if someone's doing the bare minimum, it's there and therefore it's good, no matter if it's, you know, responding to your text 48 hours later or proclaiming their love for you like it's kind of all the same anyway thanks for sharing i think that's relatable to a lot of people i know that's a tis the damn season that didn't really work out in your favor but i think that's perhaps the most relatable of all is kind of having that person you like fantasize about like they'll come around or the friends to lovers thing and then only you know to kind of vaguely keep in touch when you're away from one another only to realize that yeah they've been off like You've been off, you've been dreaming of your life together and they've been off starting a new life without you knowing. And it's like, oh, some best friend you are to not even tell. I think that's what's interesting, too, is these people gaslight you into being like, we're just friends. I like you are reading way too much into this, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, well, if we're just friends and it never had any potential like that, like, why am I being blindsided by your new girlfriend? Like, wouldn't best friends tell each other about like who they're romantically involved with? You know, so like they knew drives me nuts. But anyway. I hope your journey finds you in Alaska or wherever you hope, whatever, whatever Hallmark town with a ridiculous 
name like Kringleville or Garland or, you know, my personal favorite cookie jar, which is a town in, I think, upstate New York uh, in the Hallmark movie Christmas Cookies, where, you know, a young businesswoman named Hannah Harper, who's, you know, trigger warning, tragedy, trauma, um, who has unfortunately lost her Christmas spirit, tries to advance her career at National Foods. And former attorney Jake has inherited Aunt Sally's homemade Christmas cookie business in the upstate New York town of Cookie Jar. And they have a situation with an impending bankruptcy. And of course, Hannah's company, National Foods, wants to buy Aunt Sally's cookie company and wait for it, uh, get them involved with automation to cut costs. And of course, the homemade, clunky, expensive as hell operation that will never net that town a dime needs to be saved. And with another trope that's perhaps worse in terms of being misleading than friends to lovers is enemies to lovers. And attorney Jake eventually falls for Hannah as she falls in love with the town of Cookie Jar and their traditions and understands what Aunt Sally's means to that town. And even only two weeks have passed, Jake proposes marriage. And suddenly Hannah's got to choose between her career that, I don't know, supports her and enables her to be independent for this, I don't know, life she built for herself. And if she gives up her entire identity for a townie she met two weeks ago, whose impending bankruptcy she's actively encouraging by not having him sell Aunt Sally's to an entity that could, you know, enable him to turn some profit on it. I don't know, invest it in something else. Of course not. Instead, she's giving up her entire life for this person she just met to save a company she just learned about. It's really it's amazing, the messaging of abandoning everything you are and everything you've built and worked toward just because you're swept away by some Christmas spirit. And that is relatable. Sorry for rambling. Could talk about the friends all day. Okay, this is another story. It all starts with a boy, Drake, that was a year older than me in high school my freshman year. While we were in high school, I always had a crush on him, but never had the nerve to tell him. He wasn't always dating the really pretty, he was always dating the really pretty popular girls, and I just never fit that aesthetic. We also became pretty good friends, and I didn't want to make things awkward by admitting my feelings. After high school, he made an attempt at college and eventually enlisted, wait, after high school, he eventually enlisted in the Navy. We were from Idaho, and he moved to Virginia the four years he was in the Navy, then to Ohio for four years after that. I went to an in-state college for my undergraduate and law degree, so we never saw much of each other during those years other than through social media. At the end of 2019, during my third and last year of law school, I was diagnosed with stage 4 kidney cancer. To say it derailed my life is an understatement, but I was able to go back for my last semester and graduate college, oh, and graduate despite going through treatments and dealing with the be beginning of the pandemic. Because I was sick, I begrudgingly moved back home with my parents and started working for the local prosecuting attorney. It was not in my plans, and I never wanted to move back to my hometown, let alone back in with my parents, but it's just what I had to do during that time, so I did it. I was actually enjoying my new job, especially because they were flexible with my treatment schedule and let me have time off as needed while still giving me great opportunities. That fall, Drake sent me a Facebook message asking how I was doing. I remember feeling giddy and anxious, but also trying not to get my hopes up. He told me he moved back to Idaho and wanted to know if I wanted to hang out sometime. I was only about a year out of my, from my initial diagnosis and had not dated anyone since. I felt pretty unworthy of a proper relationship because my chronic illness and the unpredictability of being on chemotherapy drugs for the rest of my life. I ended up taking a chance and went, went to hang out with Drake in his parents' front yard. To my relief, he already knew about my cancer because of the GoFundMe that got shared on social media. We talked for what felt like hours and he told me how proud he was of everything I had accomplished since we left high school. 
Since that night, we've been dating for two years now. I never would have expected to find the love of my life in my small rural hometown, but I'm so happy I did. <laughs> love when things work out. Oh my god, I have goosebumps. I hope you're doing okay. And I'm so glad you took the chance. I can't personally say what it would be like to go through that, but it's like, you just, probably out of self-preservation, want to keep this, you know, situation insular. And I'm sure it's hard to introduce new people into it when it's so intense for you and your family to be going through. Um, But what a beautiful and amazing thing to be supported and loved and to introduce something that like adds more than it subtracts while you're going through something so challenging. And I'm so excited that that's how that worked out. Thank you for sharing. I wish I read that for the regular episode. That's so uplifting and sweet. And again, I hope you're doing okay. Let's see. Warning. Long story. Takes place over 10 years. There are Taylor Swift references. Great, great. My BF and I met in our junior year, 2011, on a high school field trip. We went to different high schools. I never know if people change names. I'm just, let's call your boyfriend Chip. My BF Chip and I met our junior year on a field trip. We went to different high schools. Two schools would hang out during the trip. We both got a crush on each other on the field trip, but neither of us have game, especially Chip. This is important to keep in mind as the story progresses. After the field trip, we friend follow each other on social media. Eventually, he asked me for my number, but nothing happens. Then in 2012, our senior year, we go on the same field trip again. I knew Chip was a huge Taylor Swift fan, had a major crush on her. At this time, the wand was also super popular. Sorry, what's that? Oh, hair wand. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know why my mind went vibrate on a curling iron. One night before the field trip, my sister curls my hair and gives me major speak down vibes. <laughs> so me being smart mastermind, I found my brother's guitar and had my sister take pictures of me with my curly hair. PJs. This is the scary non-curated days of Instagram. Well, and Vera, you belong with me. And my brother's guitar. I post the pictures with the caption, do I look like Taylor Swift? And Chip comments, yes, if she's a redhead. And I reply, woohoo, I'm a redheaded Taylor Swift. Wink face. Honestly, I thought I was in using that winky face. Fast forward to the field trip. We hang out a bit when nothing happens, but I have my hair curled for half the trip. I find out later we're going to the same college. I sign up for the same orientation as him and we end up in the same summer classes. Chip never really makes a move when I end up dating someone else. Isn't it so crazy that this would be a years-long saga and nobody would just be like, hey, got the hots for you. Fast forward, I become single at the beginning of 2019. I keep bumping into Chip at concerts and hockey games. We have similar interests. So he has a holiday party December 2019. He invites another girl and she bails on him two days before. He texts me the night before asking if I can go because his friend bailed and he doesn't want to go alone. I say yes. This is the first time we're hanging out for more than 10 minutes and one-on-one in a decade. So of course, to break the ice, I bring up Taylor Swift and talk about Lover and her 30th birthday party. The Christmas party was mainly us just us two just talking to each other and catching up after the christmas party we hang out again because he has no one else to see star wars with because his friends bailed geez tough luck for chip (laughs) honestly i thought i was getting friend zone but i kept hanging out with him and he thought they were dates but i didn't finally in february he finally kisses me and we start to date but if it wasn't for this christmas party it would have pushed us dating even longer oh my gosh isn't that so crazy though how he thought you were on dates and you didn't like this is why I was bad at dating, because, like, I always just wanted to ask. I don't, I'm not good at being in the dark. And then when you ask, it becomes unattractive to people, apparently, is what I was told. It's funny. I'm so used to men being rude about Taylor Swift that it's just so shocking to me that, he, you know, as far back as 2011, he was a fan. What a doll. 
I'm so glad you're still dating. That's such a cute story. Thank you for sharing. This is Kate from The Beyond, and I'm laughing because earlier I played that Love Colonel song, which said, like, didn't it say, like, he asked me to go, he asked me to go to the movies because his friend bailed or something? And that actually happened to you. This is why it's so hard to know what we do, how we move forward. Because it's not like we can take the precedence of other people's situations and project them onto ours. Everything is different. Everything depends. But stories like yours are the type of things I would hang on to, being like, oh, well, certainly. You know, because that was what, over the 2012 to 2019, seven years? Yeah. That, your story would give me hope to, <laughs> to somebody for seven years and that'll see the light. In your case, I'm happy you got your rom-com because I don't know many examples of that actually happening. So I guess the message is don't lose hope. Love kernels. Our lives, much like a popcorn bin meant just for popcorn, doesn't deserve to also be the place we let people puke. And I guess it's just nice to know that in some circumstances, in the popcorn bowl that is life, the love kernels pop and produce the outcome you so desired. Once things finally heat up. Wow. Thank you for sharing. Heads up for light mention of pregnancy. Um, I was in my sophomore year of college and had been dating this guy that I knew from high school and had gotten together with at the start of the summer. He called me to break up in November because he thought he was getting deployed by the army. My college was three hours away from my hometown, so I didn't see him until I visited home for Thanksgiving and agreed to speak in person. When I got to his place, he had apparently forgotten what time I was coming and was in the shower. So I had to sit with his new roommates that I had never met until he was ready. They did not know who I was, and I had to make very awkward small talk with them. When we talked, he told me he had been drunk when he called to break up, and that he had been so upset about the situation that he hadn't even slept with this other girl he totally could have slept with. What a gentleman, am I right, ladies? Yeah. Oh. Chivalry isn't dead. Uh. I was so worried about his deployment that I didn't even fully register how bonkers the whole conversation was. I comforted him and agreed to stay friends. Fast forward to winter break. We decided to hang out and watch a movie as friends. He picked out some sort of terrible sci-fi boy movie. Ew. In the first couple of scenes, there's this pregnant couple and the man is talking to the woman's bump. My ex thought it was weird, so he put his hand on my stomach and started talking to it as a joke. Rude. For context, I was very much not pregnant. At the end of the movie, he leaned in to kiss me and I pulled a full owl and swiveled my head 180 degrees. Yeah, that would give me the ick too. There's certain things we just don't cosplay, even if we're mocking a movie, you know. Needless to say, we didn't hang out again. I'm glad he never ended up getting to play, but I'm thankful we broke up when we did because it was not a good relationship. Have a lovely holiday season and keep your spine flexible to dodge unwanted advances. Or, you know, keep your neck exorcism friendly. <laughs> you need to pull a full owl. <laughs> Yikes. I don't love the rubbing of the belly, but saying he could have slept with so many girls, he was so distraught, like gross.com backslash no thanks underscore by dot html if you need a really good insult to throw someone's way speaking in url is really effective um, this one says real life hallmark story i met my current husband in high school in his mother's class he was an older senior and i was a young sophomore he asked me geez do you guys hear that someone's stomping upstairs i don't know if it's tugboat or greg but it's like a full-on fee-fi-fo-fum recording in progress rude do you hear that <laughs> oh my god stomp the musical going on in my kitchen above me um anywho he asked me out well she was a he was a senior she was a sophomore she was a senior no he was a senior she was a sophomore he she was 
taking his mother's class if we were going to go skater boy. That didn't work. I would cut that out if this were the regular episode. <laughs> he asked me out multiple times, but I wasn't allowed to go out on dates because I was only 15 and had very conservative parents. We never officially dated, but whenever he came home from college, I was there to hang out. He was my first sexual encounter when I was 17 and wasn't the most six and it wasn't the most successful attempt. He was super respectful about it. Love that. I was embarrassed and I avoided him for two weeks. We ended up getting into a stupid fight and didn't speak for a year and a half. During this time, I had a messy journey and ended up at a Christian college my, my parents were willing to send me to. I just wanted to get as far away from them and this school was halfway across the country. I was stuck trying to please my parents but struggling to find my way. I ended up meeting a guy who I could tolerate at this school that I thought my parents could approve of and we got married really young. In hindsight, I thought getting married would allow me to, the ability to break away from my parents' influence and I could live my own life. The guy back home was the only person who questioned me on the decision. He told me he'd help me move back when it didn't work out. Of course, I was going to prove him wrong. I stayed married for another 15 years. After years of therapy and realizing that I wasn't sure if I wanted kids, but was for sure I didn't want to have kids with my then-husband, I knew I needed to leave if I wanted a chance at a family. I was 36 at the time when I left. I reconnected with the guy back from back home. He had been in a relationship with a woman for five years who was diagnosed with cancer 2.5 years into the relationship. He was her caretaker until she passed away two and a half years later. My marriage ended the year after she died. We, oh my God, this is, oh, bless his heart. And oh, that's so sad. We met up the night before Thanksgiving in our favorite city to make up for that first sexual experience, but this time in a fancy hotel. Whoa, I never expected it to last. The meeting in the hotel was 10 years ago. We got married five years ago and basically live the real life version of Star. Basically live in the real life version of Stars Hollow. Where is it? I want to go to there. My parents now love him and actually talk to him more than me. He's my favorite person. Cheers to sappy love stories. Oh my God, uh, too emotional. What a roller coaster for both of you. These things aren't linear. Wow. I salute people who hedge their bets on themselves, even when they. Many people would tell them it's too late or they're too far in something and. Sometimes it takes a while to learn lessons, and we've all got a lot of internalized bullshit. It takes a long time to work through. And shout out to your husband and the tremendous grief I, he endured, and I'm sure still endures, in trying to move forward with it. I remember Nora talking about how the song Happiness really stuck out to her because of, you know, there will be happiness after you, but there was happiness because of you. Both of those things can be true. I think it must really apply to people who lose their spouse. Uh, that they were very much still in love with and, and married to, or loss in general. Like there's happiness because of people, and you can find happiness after them. And it does; they don't cancel each other out. It doesn't mean you've forgotten. And oh my God, what a complicated, beautiful, important love story! And thank you for sharing. These are these are main feed worthy, and I'm sorry I didn't get to them till now. This one says, thank love the podcast. Not sure if this totally fits, but my husband and I met around Thanksgiving. He worked with a college friend of mine, and she brought him to watch our alma mater's rivalry football game at a bar. I knew everyone at the table but him and thought he was cute but had an important game to watch. I ignored him mostly since I was focused on the game, which made him want to talk to me more, apparently. The game was over, and I headed home. We met again a few days later, the night before Thanksgiving. Hey, at a party, she had for those staying in town. We re-met, and since there was no game on, I remembered he, I thought he was cute and was excited to chat. Wow, you forgot about a hot guy and because you were focused on a game? You're a dream. <laughs> I could never be distracted from a mega hottie when I was single, obviously. We all went to a bar and ended up staying at the front bar and talking all night while our friends were all upstairs dancing. We kissed and the fireworks were instantaneous. He asked if he could take me out the following week and we ended up hanging out every night that week. We fell fast and hard from there. 
There were a few breakups and makeups along the way, but when we got back together after a personal tragedy, we knew it was forever. Aw. We've been married for five years and together for nine. We consider the night before Thanksgiving to be our dating anniversary since it all stemmed from that party and gathering of old friends, even if he wasn't my old friend. We truly are soulmates, and I'm so grateful. I love that. Thanks for sharing. It was winter 2008, and I had just finished my first semester of college. My high school boyfriend and I had amicably split when we left for high school. We love a conscious uncoupling. We were both home from Thanksgiving through New Year's. So naturally, we started hooking up again. Cut to New Year's. We had been essentially back together the entire break, and a big group of our friends reserved a couple hotel rooms at a ski resort so we could all ski and party. We get there. Ex-boyfriend is ignoring me, and I'm spiraling. The first night, I walk down to the hot tub and walk in on ex-boyfriend <gasps> making out with one of the other girls. I end up drunkenly sobbing in the hotel for the rest of the night and went home early the next day, blasting Fearless, which was iconically, iconically released that year with one of my girlfriends. I wish I could tell you that I had an ounce of dignity and that was the end of that relationship, but I proceeded to hook up with that same ex every time we were both home until the next year when I met my husband. Honestly, girl, that's to me <laughs> the exception. It's the rule. I do think there was a point in my life where there was an unhealthy dynamic that made me it's not that it, I liked bad boys. It's that I was seeking like the validation and prioritizing their opinion in some way because people that liked me, I questioned their taste when I didn't like myself that much. And people who didn't like me, I was like, yeah, that tracks. And then I like I chased their validation to supplement my lack of confidence, even though now I know I was never going to get it from an external source. It was more of a toxic cycle that fulfilled itself. And I think you're not pathetic or desperate or weird. I, I think that that happens sometimes when you hook up with people you know aren't right for you or who don't treat you nicely. I don't want us to do that, but I'd be lying if I said I didn't do the same. And we've grown and we're we're better for it. Uh, not better for it, but better off now being past it. And yeah, th those situations, like it, it gr makes me crazy to think back on how it wasn't a deal breaker and I didn't put my foot down. It, it made me put my foot on the pedal, like <laughs> pedal to the metal. Let me try harder, which is just so alarming when I should have been pumping the brakes, you know. Let's see here. Your podcast is a fellow Chicago gal. One of my dreams is to bump into you casually out and about and act super breezy while internally freaking out. It's funny you say that because whenever I, I bump into people all the time, which is funny because I feel like I'm a pretty small creator, but it's like such a targeted audience. And I think people know that I'm here and to like look for me. So I actually see people a lot. And it's a weird situation where I, I usually leave the interaction being like, that person is probably so disappointed and how like weird I look or how low energy I am or that we didn't have like a fun pop culture -y convo because like it's different than when you're just interacting with a human. And my fear is when I run into people, I actively will lose fans. I think there's a real misconception with people overthinking their interaction. I find that people will apologize for interactions and i'm like the funny thing is what you don't realize is that the person you're talking to is doing the same thing like we're all so in our own heads we're not even thinking about the interaction i i'm like oh i probably disappointed you and you're like oh my gosh what did was i not being like breezy enough and which by the way i feel like it's worth saying like i don't <laughs> i don't judge the way people act around me or respond to me as long as they're not rude i would never be like that girl isn't cool like you know if if you were like excited to see me or talk to me, you really think I would think that was weird? I'd be honored. What kind of weirdo is off put by someone's enthusiasm toward them? <laughs> Not me. <laughs> Anywho, um, it's 2008 after so, summer after my high school graduation. I was a lifeguard at my local pool, nursing a crush on a fellow lifeguard. 
He played soccer at the town's small Christian university that had the kind of personality that screamed future cool youth pastor, totally. I was hooked. I went away to college that fall in the glamour of underage drinking for the first time while living in a co-ed dorm helped me forget him quickly. Fast forward to Thanksgiving break, I meet up with some high school friends at my hometown, Steak and Shake, the hotspot for young people in that conservative rural community. And there in the corner booth is my old crush. I'm shocked when, on his way out the door, he stops by my table and asks for my number. We text daily throughout December, making plans to get together over winter break. That fateful day comes and I head to his parents' house where we pretend to watch Ocean's Eleven in the basement while participating in some PG-13 heavy petting. The romance. Totally. More like Ocean's Third, am I right? I head back to college after winter break. The visions of the sexy summer and my future lifeguarding together at the pool playing in my mind on repeat. Instead, I arrive in my dorm to a novel-length email from him explaining that he's headed to Africa for this semester on a mission-focused study abroad program and can't be tied tied down to someone back home. He shared how he believed the devil put me in his bed ahead of this mission (gasps) as a test of his faith. How my body tempted him and he's ashamed of the sins committed with me and telling me we can no longer contact each other. If this table wasn't glass and I didn't pay too much for it, I'd flip it. I'm enraged. A month later, I heard he got kicked out of the study abroad program for drinking alcohol, a big no-no at the university. It looks like he failed another temptation test. Yeah, you can't point... Ugh. These Christian brothers who blame you for stumbling. It's, it's yeah, it's the most man... It's one of the most maddening elements of the patriarchy, how the entire thing is about the sustaining of male control. And part of the manipulation is forcing women to feel like they are in control of men's behavior, in control of how men respond to them by controlling how they behave because men can't help themselves. And it's so damn frustrating because they can and they should. But in these like super religious patriarchal circles, they're taught that they they have no free will, that they have no ability to control their own actions and behavior, which they absolutely do and should be held accountable to. But Boys will be boys, and you're just as temptress. And it that it just it's yeah. You guys know how mad that makes me. I won't go off on a tangent. The next summer, while working together at the pool, he never once acknowledged our winter one-time romance. Rude. The petting was heavy and deserves to be acknowledged. One afternoon, some staff are in a break room reading a breakup horror stories column in a Cosmo Girl or something. I look him dead in the eye and say, "The only breakup I could imagine being any worse." is being so much of a coward you write a Dear John-style email because you don't have the balls to have a conversation with someone face-to-face or on the phone. He went beat red and made an excuse to leave the room. Fifteen years later, this comeback is still high on my list of life achievements. All the best. You know what? Good for you. You shined like fireworks over a sad, empty town with that Dear John comment. I'm proud of you. What a monster. You know, we can only hope people have evolved. And I'm sure, I hope a lot of dudes our age are now horrified that they ever really believed that they couldn't control themselves and said this shit to people. One can only hope. Thank you for sharing. <clears throat> Let's see here. This all started when I was 15 and I met this guy in my English class. I could not keep my eyes off him and I told all my friends about him. Come to find out, my friend had met him at a party and was dating him not even a month later. They had dated for years. It was fine. Throughout their relationship, I became good friends with his brother and him. I even developed feelings for his brother. Nothing ever came out of that, and we're still best friends to this day. Anyway, once my friend and the boy broke up, he leaned on me to help him through. Wasn't that weird because we had all been friends since we were close, but that closeness turned into feelings on my side and a rebound on his side. He started texting things like, you're so pretty, and wanted to hang out. One night, his brother, him, and I went to a, a green turtle bar in our town, and I was the DD. While his brother was paying our tab, we walked outside, and he pushed me up against the wall and kissed me. Kind of hot. 
Long story short, in the span of a week, he was my first kiss and hookup. Then he took my virginity New Year's Eve. It was kind of awful. I was wearing his hoodie and it stayed on the entire time. Then he literally told me to buy plan B the next morning. But for some reason, I was smitten. I thought this is it. It's sad how naive I was. I relate. Anyway, we kept hooking up over the course of maybe a year here or there, but we told no one because it was too weird and I was best friends with his brother. It was a disaster. He treated me like garbage, even had sex with someone else while I was in the next room over, yet I continued to hook up with him after that incident. It only stopped the spring almost two years later when I found out he had been dating someone else for a while. He got married that summer and they welcomed a child later that year. Even after all that, he messaged me a few times saying shit like, if it doesn't work out, can I pursue you? It was really hard on me, but I never took it further. Fuck this guy. The craziest thing is I still have to see him because I'm still best friends with his brother. To this day, my friend has no clue I hooked up with his brother. What? We even all got together earlier this year and the brother and I hooked up and acted like nothing ever happened. Sorry, I'm confused. I've forgiven him and moved on. The Wait. So you hooked up with the unmarried brother? Damn. By the way, I broke girl code and I know it. Guilt overcame me at times when my best friend who dated him started living her truth and married and is married to a wonderful woman when I did tell her she didn't care and we're still friends to this day. Thanks for letting me share my story. Wait, wow, no. What a complex, what a complex web. And told to me over the World Wide Web. I'm, I feel like I'm, I, lo- I got lost somewhere. So your best friend doesn't know you used to hook up with his brother. And it was like an ongoing saga until he like got married and had a kid, but then like was a total like gross dude. And was trying to be like, can I pursue you if my marriage doesn't work out? What is wrong with people? Oh, so this all started over the Thanksgiving thing, Christmas holidays. I see, I see. Wow. I'm getting some juice here. This is exciting. Thank you for sharing. Sorry for the ongoing dilemma and saga and for the mistreatment. It is tough, too, to acknowledge when we do people dirty, too, in the name of pursuing romance. But appreciate your candor. Hi, Kate. I love the first episode. It made me think about the situation that I felt like I needed the catharsis of sending it. Heads up, there's a mention of SA. Okay, thank you. So for those of you listening, skip ahead. My high school on, again, off again boyfriend. We dated at 15 for a few months, dated again two years later, broke up for college, got back together over Thanksgiving. Reverse turkey drop. Is that a voice of the term? Reverse turkey drop? What? Then a year later, we broke up because I was sexually assaulted. And when I confided that in him, he said I had cheated on him. Oh, fuck that. I'm sorry. TLDR, he was overall extremely bad at communication, pretty self-centered and not ideal, but he did have incredible cash (laughs) and really every time felt like the one who got away. Did not see the calves coming. Wow. He's your other calf. We didn't speak after the last breakup until the fall after we'd both graduated from college. He was home for Christmas and our mutual friends were out for drinks and invited both of us. Despite what he'd done, should have been unforgivable, but I was dumb and had loved him a lot and was a bit lost. We got to stop calling ourselves dumb or desperate or pathetic, guys. We didn't know better. And maybe sometimes we did, but coulda, woulda, shoulda. Woulda, coulda, shoulda. I was a bit drunk and immediately just fell right back into it. He texted me the next day to say he'd love to get coffee. We went out for lunch and talked for a few hours and wove around talking about anything important. And then he finally apologized and we got into it. And he said he felt like I was the one and had always imagined he'd end up interrupting my wedding and asking me to run away with him. In retrospect, why, what the fuck, why would you not tell me that before my wedding? Ask the same to Miss Swift. Don't say yes, run away now. I'll meet you in an hour by the church at the back door. In short, I was the one who got away too. This felt like the most romantic thing of all time to me. And we spent the next month spending as much time together as possible and having an amazing time and going on such magical little dates. We love a magical buddy. 
Did I love him or did I love the idea of announcing our engagement on Instagram with a picture of us from prom than a current picture in the same pose? Will I ever know? That's a profound moment. He lived in D.C. at the time. We're both from the West Coast. But he said his current internship was ending in March and he'd move home after so we could be together. I was googly eyes for him and this seemed like a dream. Shockingly, once he was in D.C., all of a sudden he stopped texting me back consistently, wasn't available for calls, rarely wanted to talk about long-term plans. No one was surprised except me. By April, he told me that his internship offered him a full-time position and he accepted and was staying in D.C. long-term. From his tagged photos on Instagram, lol, I could guess he started seeing someone else. The only good thing about our last phone call was that I had taken a job nannying for one of his favorite celebrities and got to share the news and he had to suffer knowing that he wouldn't hear anything about it. Yes. Love that for you. Not a fun ending. Don't love that for you. Since then, he stopped talking not only to me, but literally anyone else we know. So I don't even get updates about how he's doing aside from aforementioned, I always say that word wrong, aforementioned tagged photos on Instagram. Now I watch your life in pictures like I used to watch you sleep. And I feel you forget me like I used to feel you breathe. And I keep up with our old friends just to ask them how you are. But what's hard is when your old friends don't know how they are, you don't get to know how they are. And that is frustrating. My tis the damn season moment ended like everyone else's. It seems like a bummer, not the one. Luckily, I was trying to get over him amidst this breakup. Can you break up if you were never dating this time around? Who knows? Uh, Yeah, I was broken up with constantly with people I never dated, but they were very real breakups to me. (laughs) I went on a Bumble date and met my wonderful, loving, communicative fiance. Yay. Who has spent many years being a kind and considerate partner. So it could be worse. It could be worse. That's great. But there's just something so special and nostalgic about that holiday hookup, when some, which somehow brings you back to your childhood, makes you feel like a grown-up, makes you think that your life is like a movie. It's a special feeling, and I loved reliving those feelings the last podcast. I'm glad that's what the podcast made you feel like. That's what I wanted, and that's what I felt like I could have done a better job with. Thank you for writing. This person said, Nine years ago, I ended up at the hometown bar the night before Thanksgiving. Had no intentions of going. Almost bailed on my friends that were heading there several times, but needless to say, I went. As with any hometown bar the night before Thanksgiving story, it was a high school reunion spanning many class years. A boy walked by who I recognized from Latin class, and I shouted, Matt, X. I accidentally called him the wrong name, and he corrected me. Since then, I, since I just said the wrong last name accidentally. He was a senior when I was a freshman, so of course he had no idea who I was. But we ended up hanging out the rest of the night, and I got to know his friends. Turned out we, turns out we lived a mile away from each other in Boston, and I went and went on our first week a, date a week later. Next week is our one-year wedding anniversary. That's so cute. That's a really cute story and also maybe a good idea to purposefully accidentally call somebody the wrong name. They have to respond by correcting you and then you get to recognize them, open up talking to them, but also um, you don't like flatter them because you didn't actually know their name. Also, that sounds like something that somebody would tell you to do in like the pickup artist song, I'm a dirtbag. Also, that maybe is something I learned from Why Men Love Bitches. But the tagline was from doormat to dream girl. And that is my arc from literal doormat salesperson to maybe hopefully Greg's dream girl. Okay, kind of. I know I'm late, but in case you do a part two or Patreon. Yes, here we are. My high school boyfriend and I were on again, off again, long distance for the first couple years of college. During winter break of our sophomore year, we were very much off again. Looking back, it's obvious that he wanted to end it and I was refusing to let go with every fiber of my being. I was desperately and unhealthily in love with him. When we were back home, I begged him to meet up. He reluctantly agreed. I didn't want my parents to know because they didn't approve of the relationship for good reason. So I snuck out of the house and met up with him at a park on a very cold night. Exciting. We sat in his car and talked for a while. I don't remember the details of what we talked about, but what, do, but what I do clearly remember is that at one point he had to pee and left me alone in the car with his phone. What's a girl going to do? I certainly know what I'd do. I was dying for intel. 
I had to snoop. I like to clarify that this was the only time I ever looked at someone's phone behind their back. I, I'm not a snooper because I feel weird. Like I won't even, I don't even like looking at my cameras, even when like watching Tugboat when no one's home. I, but I think if the few times in life you maybe have an urge, there's probably something to see, right? Um, but yeah, generally speaking, in a healthy relationship, I don't think that that's necessary. I would like, uh, what can I say? I was young and desperate. <laughs> Guys, don't be so hard on yourselves. Much to my relief, there weren't any messages from other girls. There was a conversation about me with his friend in which he said he didn't know what was going to happen when he saw me, but that he was going to try to resist the temptation to kiss me because if we kissed, that would be it and we'd fall right back together. Well, that's kind of innocent and charming. I did not see that coming. I'd like to give you the Hallmark movie version of events and say he came back in the car, I kissed him, and we were together in love from that moment on, but I didn't get my romantic storybook ending that night. We didn't kiss, we didn't see each other during break, and a few months into the second semester, he had a new girlfriend and that was the end of us. Looking back, I have a lot of nostalgic feelings for that night because it was very rotten, emotionally intense in a way that you only experience when you're young and in love for the first time. The tech, the, that text message really felt like a sliding doors moment. We were so young, not right for each other, and weren't going to last regardless, but I still wonder how things might have been different if we kissed that night. How our futures might have unfolded slightly differently and how one moment or decision can change everything. It's not a crazy, exciting story, but it is a bittersweet one that I think captures that melancholic nostalgia of holiday hometown reunions. Every time I listen to Tis the Damn Season, it puts me right back in that 19-year-old's emotional state of longing and pining, but in a distance-healed way that I kind of look back on fondly now that I'm almost 30, happily married, and haven't experienced romantic angst like that in many years. I can't end this email without telling you how much I adore you in the podcast. Well, thank you. I'm a relatively new listener, but an instant convert, convert and currently working my way through all the old episodes. Please don't. I need, I need to archive my back catalog. You're the best. Thank you so much. You guys are really sweet. That was very well written. Um, that, that, and that just brought up a memory. This is why I love sharing your stories to for other people, because I think when we share other people's stories and we share our memories, or I like to go into like nostalgic things at in a level of granularity and detail, because the more detail I go in, I hope it excavates the details you thought you forgot, but just were lying dormant until somebody reminded you of them. And I had a dormant moment when you described this text as a sliding doors moment. I need to figure out, I need to tell an abridged version of this, but like, I was like in love obsessed with this one person, the same person that broke up with me at that, which gave me a really contentious relationship with a beef and Chad. And I think that the biggest issue was me always getting friend zoned. And this was like a person I was seeing like outside of my regular friend group. Not all my friends really knew that well, or even knew this was going on. And now I see the me being a secret part, like so much more dark than I, you know, I thought it was like cute and sneaky, but now I realize like, it was shitty and I be, you're kind of kept a, a secret for a reason kept you like a secret kept you like an oath the whole thing and I was just so enamored but also nobody had ever called me their girlfriend and I didn't know what to do with my arms I didn't know how to act I didn't know how to be a girlfriend I wanted to be one so bad but everybody just like treated me like their buddy and like even my like romantic interactions of like physically being involved or hooking up with people weren't like normal healthy sober exchanges they were kind of more like uh things that i had to be drinking to feel more comfortable or people would only pay attention to me when they were drinking and the whole thing looking back is like toxic and whatever but i had genuine real feelings for this person like not in just a party context and one time i went over to his house over a holiday break i don't remember which season it was but I have this moment of like, he never really treated me girlfriendy. And I was always waiting for a cue to be like treated more like a girlfriend than a friend. And I remember 
he like walked me out to my car one night and nor he never did that. And then he like leaned up again. He leaned up against his car in front of my car. And I like waved goodbye and got in my car. Like I did every time because he never kissed me goodbye. He was kind of like flirtatiously like leaned up against his car. And it was something where I could have gone over to him and had like a semi-romantic sober interaction where we like kissed goodbye uncharacteristically that to me would have like kind of bridged the situation in a way that made me seem more girlfriendy. But I was so conditioned to act like I was cool and didn't care and was unbothered at this point because this had been going on for so long. And I also like didn't pick up on cues like that because it wasn't normal. And I and I don't know if this makes sense, but I got in my car and I turned on my headlights and my headlights like blinded him. And like he like shot his head back and like ran away from leaning against the car. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, I completely missed my moment. Like he was leaning up against the car. So I'd like come over and kiss him and we'd like bridge this weird friend gap. So it wasn't like we just are friends and hang out and don't physically touch or we just hook up like you know, in secret or when we're drunk or whatever, this was like the moment and I fucked it up and I just ignored him and my headlights glared in his eyes and I drove away and like literally something changed after that. I swear to God. And I don't think it's in my head. And I, for the longest time, thought that was such a sliding doors moment. Another sliding doors moment was this like ongoing saga I had. Again, a friend zone situation like would hook up sometimes and never was good enough to be called the girlfriend or whatever. And this time I was way too scared to like do it because the purity culture of it all. But if I was going to, I just wanted to be somebody's girlfriend. Like, was that too much to ask? But like, nobody would go be, go anywhere close to calling me their girlfriend. I was only their friend, but then like would act disappointed when I wouldn't do it. But then this was a case where this person was mad at me because we were hanging out, not doing anything, but I got my period and didn't know it. And I bled on his sheets and he was like really grossed out and like asked me to wash them and kind of kicked me out and things were never really the same naturally what every young collegiate woman would do in this situation no not dig your keys into the side of his pretty little souped up four-wheel drive nope i went home and wrote poetry in the dark called the endless cycle that represents like the toxic masculinity if i've ever heard it the thing that represents you like you would be mad if i was pregnant and you were mad that the thing happened on your bed that meant i wasn't we never stood a chance don't need to get into that hope my mom's not listening I mean, while you guys are opening up to me, I just found this poem. It's called The Endless Cycle. This is this is a deep cut. And this is really embarrassing. <laughs> this this is this is the these are the perils of of resuscitating your college hard drive at a micro center. I endorse doing this, but it's painful at the same time. But this is what I'm saying, you guys. I still read this and feel how I felt. Our experiences matter. People that treat you like shit. Even though they maybe didn't know better and we all deserve a little grace, we can't dismiss how formative these experiences are. Even if we've moved on, we're married, we're in love, we're happy. doesn't mean we haven't, it doesn't mean we still have feelings. It doesn't mean we haven't evolved. It doesn't mean we're still like attached to the emotion, but it does mean the way we felt in real time mattered and was transformative. And this is, this is hard to read. It's so stupidly intense relative to the subject matter, but I think I was trying to articulate how I felt crazy like we weren't doing it and I was made to feel bad for not doing it. But then I was also made to feel disgusting for the thing that represents how I wasn't having your kid. Right. And I like wasn't able to articulate the 
the misogynistic madness that I was feeling. So instead, I wrote a poem called The Endless Cycle, where I said, <clears throat> can't believe I'm reading this. I said no, but didn't go home as you coldly rolled away, fitting the beginning of the end. And this tale's ironic spin is how disgusted you were when on the fitted sheet I bled, got kicked out on the streets to wash the bedding, walking home with both my tears and lining shedding. And if I was a woman betting, I knew things would never be the same. They weren't. I blame myself. I really thought this was like the moment I, I messed things up because I was disgusting and blood on his bed. I feel so sad for myself in this poem, don't you? Sorry, I'm not done. Wait, can I start over? <laughs> I said no, but didn't go home as you coldly rolled away. Fitting the beginning of the end in this tale's ironic spin is how disgusted you were when on the fitted sheet I bled. Got kicked out on the streets to wash the bedding, walking home with both my tears and lining shedding. And if I was a woman bedding, I knew things would never be the same. And so the cycle had begun and never ends, alongside the low thread count and my low body count and the parts of me that don't count. You toss my heart in the spin cycle once again. It makes my head spin how you touch me and say we're only friends. If you're mad, I said no to avoid the maybe. If we're keeping score, that same thing means I'm not having your baby. So why is it preventing you from calling me yours? Weird rhyme scheme. Don't. Zero stars. Um, I wanted someone to call me babe. Call my bluff. Call you babe. Sad, sad stuff. Although I do like the thread count and body count, the parts of me that don't count. But now I'm wondering if I wrote this a little bit late, like time shifted. Because I don't think body count's something I would have known in like 2009, is it? All I ever wanted to do in this life was write a poetry book and include shit like this that very vaguely speaks to experiences out of context in the most intense way possible. Because I think some of my more intense experiences, as open as I am, I would only be comfortable expressing them poetically. <clears throat> because I think the nature of art is not to reveal <laughs> everything about yourself to a point that makes you uncomfortable, but to artistically express it the way that you understand it. and. A lot of, like, experiences I'll try to write out in, like, a prosaic form that doesn't do them justice or that I don't really, is, like, a level of detail I don't really like or feel comfortable with, but I would spill everything in, like, a, a free verse. But anywho, thank you for uh, participating in that dramatic reading of The Endless Cycle by one Katie Kennedy, I assume circa 2009, maybe later updated, not sure. The body count thing's throwing me off. I wonder what I can trace that, my knowledge of that term to. Don't you feel like that's a 2010s term or like a term you learned in a movie? No, but I guess 20, 2009 was after problematic wedding crashes America. Who's to say? Who's to say? And says, long time live, laugh, love lurker over here. I'm finally able to contribute to a prompt. My spoiler alert, husband and I were together and together, together in school from third grade through high school. I had a massive crush on him in seventh grade, and he rejected me for a best friend that I found out about via linked AM accounts. <gasps> I love an AM scandal. This episode is brought to you by ButcherBox. I may have beef with the person who made my relationship with the beef and Chad complicated, but fortunately, ButcherBox has really healed my relationship to beef, given they provide such high-quality cuts of meat delivered right to your door at such a reasonable price. ButcherBox has all you need for a tasty, stress-free holiday season with high-quality protein delivered to your door. It really provides peace of mind. It's the ultimate convenience. It's an incredible value. You can easily find high-quality meat and seafood you can trust. They have stuff like 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork-raised, crate-free, and wild-caught seafood, humanely raised, no antibiotics or added hormones, delivered right to your doorstep with free shipping always. 
You can get one of their curated box plans or pick your own meats. I love their bacon. I love their fillets. I love their chicken wings. Really, we love it all. I think this is a great gift, especially for people that you want to have food in the freezer where somebody's like healing or recovering. You have older parents or you just have like an enthusiastic griller. I feel like every gift guide is like, give men an apron that says barbecue master. And it's like, are they? I don't know enough men that barbecue, but if they are, they would love ButcherBox. Whether for yourself or someone else, a gift of ButcherBox is here to help you find more delicious, wholesome meals and take the guesswork out of finding high quality meat. And if you're paying for chicken wings, you're doing it wrong. For a limited time, new members get three pounds of chicken wings in every order for a year when they sign up. You could like do your own makeshift hot ones at home. So sign up today at butcherbox.com slash be there in five and use code be there in five to get free chicken wings for a year. That's three pounds of free range organic chicken wings in every order for a year when you sign up at butcherbox.com slash be there in five and use code be there in five. The holidays seem to approach faster and faster every year, leaving me scrambling to get gifts. And I can't emphasize enough how much people love to be given the gift of glow with Osea's Super Glow Body Set. This is a brand, like a trusted brand that has been making seaweed-infused products that are safe for your skin and the planet for over 27 years. Everything they make is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified. And Osea's Super Glow Body Set is a limited-edition box set featuring three of Osea's best-selling body care products, full-size Andaria Algae Body Oil, Andaria Cleansing Body Polish, and a travel-size Andaria Algae Body Butter, packed in a box so beautiful you can skip gift wrapping. Truly, it's kind of like the perfect gift to get somebody you don't know what to get them or to get somebody you're close to in life because everybody loves a dolphin shower. This is the perfect trio for you to exfoliate and moisturize, especially in the drying winter months, and it will seal in moisture all day. The body oil changed my life, as you know. I put it on when I'm damp out of the shower, and it keeps me glowing all day. It's almost the effect of glow that like people wear body highlighter for, but turns out your skin like has a sheen to it. If it's just moisturized, who knew? It's a perfect product for your everything shower, and the perfect gift for the gal who has everything. Give the gift of glow this holiday season with clean vegan skincare from Osea. And right now we have a special discount just for our listeners. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code BTIF at oseamalibu.com. Head to oseamalibu.com and use code BTIF for 10% off. I had a massive crush on him in seventh grade and he rejected me for a best friend that I found out about via linked AM accounts. <laughs> I love an AM scandal. He swears we had a thing senior year of high school, but I personally don't recall. We graduated high school and went our separate ways. Penn State, fellow Hokie over here. Oh my gosh. I was home for Christmas break and my victory, for Christmas break from my victory lap and was meeting a friend for drinks at one of the only bars in town. He was home from pilot training and happened to be driving through the same parking lot. He flagged us down, invited himself to drinks, and it very quickly turned into my BFF third wheeling. Ooh, is he hotter than you remembered? He has a much better side of the meat cute. He was already supposed to be in Vermont for a friend's ski trip, postponed a day because he wasn't feeling well. His parents' dryer broke, so he had to take his wet laundry to the laundromat. Only, and only because he was out did he stop by the liquor store in the same shopping center where the bar was to pick up beer for his brother. Damn, that's a lot. There's so many sliding doors. It's like a Florida room. Wow. We made out in the car that night till 5 a.m. Whoa, it's a lot of tonsil hockey. I didn't think I'd ever hear from him again. The next day in the middle of my 7 p.m. post-bowl game hangover, he texted to ask how the game was. He visited me, I visited him. And we've spent almost seven years living abroad together and just adopted two kittens over Thanksgiving. Cute. I'd like to petition for Hallmark IRL, where they don't gloss over the crazy hickeys you have to cover with a scarf and vest the next day. A vest? What? <laughs> Talk about a performance fleece. Wow. 
Well, it's very hard to acquire beer he gifts you at the end of winter break, despite his friends being like, what the hell, dude, you just kissed her once. And maybe the part where I am by no means a career woman, I pieced out on my job to marry him. But maybe that is a perfect hallmark. Cheers to you and Topcoat during this festivist season. You know, being a career woman's overrated. It is. I don't know what I'm doing out here, reading my poems on air. <laughs> like, I don't read. You think I've read my husband the endless cycle? Like, no. I tell you guys things. I don't tell anybody else. Happy holidays. Thanks for sharing. This person said, Hi, Kate. I had to write in when I saw your Instagram story because my husband and I are basically the plot of Tis the Damn Season Come to Life. We've known each other since middle school and started dating during our senior year of high school. While we broke up early in college after deciding to attend different schools a few hours apart, we remained very good friends and without fail hooked up every single break from school when we were both back in our hometown for the holidays. Whenever we officially got back together, we remained in touch over the years and after our 10-year high school reunion, which of course was at a bar in our hometown a few days before Christmas. Charming! I impulsively bought a plane ticket to go visit him for a long weekend. He did wait until the literal last second of the weekend, as in the rental car parking lot as I was about to drive away, to muster up the courage to say we should get back together, but you know, better late than never. Let's be there in five of it all. <laughs> we got married last fall and are expecting our first baby in February. It's always funny when people ask how long we've been together because we don't know how to count all of those fuzzy in-between years, where we weren't actually together, but our inability to stay away from each other made it clear to everyone but us that we should have been. That's so sweet. My sister jokes that my husband spent so, so, spent so much time watching terrible Hallmark movies with us in high school that we accidentally turned into one. I'm glad you mentioned this underrated Taylor Swift song because it reminds me of all those frustrating, confusing special holidays over the years. I love that. Wow, that was the most clean, tied up with the bow story of them all. That's like what you hope for, right? Most people don't end up that way, but it's nice to hear some people's do. I'm currently writing this while sitting poolside on the beach in Mexico on a mid-wedding planning getaway with my hometown Hallmark love. I'm a small-town girl from a snowy New England mountain destination, jealous, left her cozy little state to live the independent and successful career and travel-loving life in a big city down south for over 10 years. I got an advanced degree from a top university far away from home, scored a highly lucrative job at a competitive tech company where I've been successful, traveled the world, living in a city 24 hours worth of driving away from home. After spending some time at home and helping my parents through various health issues during the pandemic, I started to question why I lived so far away in a city focused on the grind, and that's so different where I grew up. I didn't vie with men down south. The ones I dated couldn't grasp the fact that I made more money than them or still wanted to invest in my career pursuits while raising a potential family and truly miss the ocean and mountain charm of my home state. Your home state has it all, and I'd love to know what it is. I'd recently ended a three-year relationship with a live-in boyfriend whose enmeshment with his very evangelical Christian family shined bright with me being home every day and not living the busy grind distracting me from the obvious. With my work going fully remote, I seriously questioned why I was even down there. It just wasn't right anymore. So at the age of 35, I packed up my valuables, sold off most things, and drove a thousand miles with my mini Schnauzer co-pilot to start anew in my home state. I'm loving this Hallmark movie. My first weekend living in my new coastal New England home, I went out to dinner with a close high school girlfriend, her husband, and his best friend. Someone I went to our state university with for undergrad and had run in the same social circles with 18 long years ago. For weeks after that dinner, we played message tag, unable to plan a time to get together as renewed friends. After resigning that we'd probably never get together, that November we finally agreed to grab some espresso martinis, love, on a snowy Saturday night. He picked me up, opened doors, and we bonded over our experiences living away from home, why we came back, our shared values in politics, our equal love of adventure. Okay, it's so crazy that you'd find your hometown hottie, but he'd also moved away and had experiences and was still single. And you met on your first weekend back? That's crazy. The rest is history. What started as him showing the new kid in town new again kid in town some local hot spots ended up with a very hallmark kiss on the cobblestone streets as the street lights softly illuminated the fluffy snowflakes falling around us 
I'm okay. This is so beautiful, but it's also so nice. I'm irritated. This is. <laughs> I'm happy for you. I'm jealous of you. I want to know where you live. I'm so glad you were met back in your hometown with such a meeting of luck and opportunity and circumstance alongside your existing charm and inarguable eligibility. But at the same time, it feels so unusual and foreign to me. I don't even know a world where that happens. But I'm glad to know it does. Days later, he admitted having a massive crush on me since college, but was too shy to make the move on such a beautiful, independent, strong, smart woman. Damn. We fell deep and hard over the holidays and started talking marriage after our first travel adventure together. That February, four months after the reunion of Ring was bought, four months later, a marriage proposal. And now we're looking to buy a house in our New England college area where we first met, planning our July wedding and eager to start our family. I'm just waiting for Hallmark to come running for the rights to our story. And I couldn't imagine that I'd be where I am a year ago. Sometimes the hardest changes are the absolute best. That is very sweet. Tis the damn season indeed. She's OP. Wow, wow, wow. Thank you for sharing. This person has a Lifetime movie that later turns into a Hallmark movie. When I was 24, I met a guy at work. He was in my, I was in my hoe face. <laughs> Sorry, I, I was still in the like Hallmark cadence. and wasn't ready. Um, so even though everyone warned me he was a ladies' man and not someone I should get involved with, I did not listen. He loved bombing, classic narcissistic man that's 10 years older than you fashion, and we started officially dating. We had not been dating for approximately one month when I found out he was still seeing his ex-girlfriend. When I confronted him, he broke up with me. Three days after we broke up, I found out I was pregnant. I told him, and it was clear from the beginning that he was not going to be involved with the baby. I ended up moving back home to be near my parents because I knew I would need support with the baby. I'm a registered nurse, so I knew I could financially handle a baby, but I was more worried about emotionally. I felt extremely guilty for not choosing the father of my child wisely. I felt so bad that my little baby boy wouldn't have a father figure to look up to. After moving home, I reconnected with my ex-BF of three years from high school over social media. We started sending each other memes and funny DMs. He wasn't actually in town, but he was going to come home for two weeks at Christmas. He mentioned that we should have dinner while he was home to catch up. I was very confused because it felt very datey. He picked me up, he paid, etc. But I thought, no way does this guy actually consider this a date when I'm literally pregnant with another dude's kid. We had a great time and it felt like we picked up right where we left off after almost eight years of not seeing each other or talking. When we were texting the next day, he said we should drive around and look at Christmas lights later. At this point, I re- realized it was definitely a date. Oh, yeah. Christmas lights. Are you kidding? After our Christmas lights date, he told me he couldn't wait to see me once again when he finished Air Force Tech School at the end of January. We kept talking and FaceTiming every night until he came back from school. And when he came back, he immediately asked me to be his girlfriend. Mind you, I was like six months pregnant at that point. He said he had been waiting for me since we broke up back in high school. Damn. He said that he dated other girls, but none of them were me. Soon after we started dating, we started talking about getting married. I know it sounds crazy, but we, we both knew we would get married eventually anyway. And we just started... And we honestly just wanted to be an official family for legal purposes before I had my son. So we got married right at the start of my third trimester. My mom planned us a wedding in four weeks. God bless her. A few months later, I gave birth to a perfect baby boy who's obsessed with his father now. My husband could not be a better father to my son. Important side note, I posted a bit about our story and it went viral on TikTok. Ooh, exciting. And the New York Post wrote a video or wrote an article about it. I'll include these in the notes. I was going to say these details feel personal. I hope people are okay with me sharing, but I love that you already shared them publicly and people were as taken with your story as I am. It is interesting how when you already know people from a past life or dated them before or they're from your hometown or you know their family, you can kind of expedite the process. You at least like, no, they're not a serial killer and you know the their intentions are there or you know parts of them that you don't have to like spend time, you know, working through the kinks of and you can pick up where you left off. And that that is really beautiful. And I'm really happy for you. And that is there. There's so much there. Look, can should I just play your TikTok? Hang on. Oh, it's one of the ones with just music and no words. 
Look up at Jordan M C H A L E S on TikTok. The comments are making me lol. And here I am in a year-long situationship, lol. This is just proof that if he wanted to, he would. This person called him the Walmart Zac Efron? And you laughed, but I'm mad. That is crazy. I was like kind of mad when I first saw it. It's, it's the New York Post tweet. It says, I was pregnant with another man's baby when I married my high school ex. And they didn't tell you? That's so messed up. I'm just like, what? Well, now I'm doing it here. But I feel like I have your permission. They literally went to Yeah, that's crazy. How tweets are news, TikToks are news. I remember like I put up a Hamilton theory on TikTok and I was... In like L and Glamour and Cosmo, never tagged, never linked. They were same thing where they're like, Kate Kennedy says, I'm like, Kate Kennedy has a podcast she'd love the free promotion for and for you to listen to. Like, come on. Anywho, this was a good time. Thanks for writing in, guys. Tis the damn season, write this down, and you did. I'm endlessly grateful that you guys entrust me and the Beths with your private stories. They're so entertaining and interesting and far more fascinating than my life ever could be. So thank you for allowing me to supplement that. With some of your um, tales, it's truly a delight. And I mean, I guess until next time, as always, let me know your thoughts and I'll let you know mine. I'll be there in five. I swear. I swear.